0: Thank you for praying together in a way that might be different for some of you, but is a way that people have done for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And we get to participate and acknowledge God does hear our prayers. And when we pray, it's, you know, the faith of the community, it moves, it starts that stuff into action. And you might not see it. You, like sometimes we wait to have faith until like later after we've seen it happen but this we have to believe together for each other because some of us aren't there tonight some of us are so let's believe together that we've set some things in motion through our prayers I mentioned to a friend my friend Genevieve I just walked over and told her keep your baby quiet I'm just kidding I walked over and I said just so you know nobody cares if you're Kid is crying. And I say that because the reality is, when we're in a, a church service, the only people concerned about their dog being a distraction are the people who brought the dog. And the only people who are concerned about their kids being a distraction are the people who brought their kids. And so it's not a distraction for anyone else. And the reality, the other reality is, if it is a distraction, then that's on me to do the hard work of being able to see God in everything. Because sometimes church church culture and the institution and the system of what church sometimes can become is we try to prime the atmosphere so that people can, I guess, quote, worship God without distraction. But sometimes those distractions are actually God trying to get our attention so that we can learn to to pay attention and to notice what God is doing. And if we do all of this work to eliminate these things, not only do we teach small children that they don't belong until they are mature enough and subsequently throw our young people into kind of an entertainment church culture that, that, that by the time they're old enough and they don't feel like they belong at all, not only do we communicate that, but we also miss the opportunity to see what God might be saying to us through our surroundings because god is speaking in a lot of different ways and so i said that to genevieve and i say it to all of you that we are a body and it and, and age doesn't age doesn't matter um one of the reasons that this plays out practically, and for me, leads into our study on 1 John, and we're in 1 John chapter 2, so if you pull out your phone and you want to pretend to read 1 John while you play Candy Crush, um, you'll have a reason. You'll have, no one will ask. If you do that, you probably want to sit in the back row so nobody can see that. But part of the reason this, this idea of distraction plays into 1 John is a story that I want to share. Probably seven years ago when uh, we were out at Mill Street Market handing out chili on a Sunday evening, a man walked by who said his name was Shorty and he would not mind me sharing this with you. But obviously his name is not Shorty because that's a nickname. And we knew this, but we didn't push him because there, you know, there can be trust issues. And he walked by and we said, hey, do you want some chili? And he said, no, I don't want to talk to you. I'm going to kill myself. And he continued to walk by. Keith kind of got him to talk to him for about 30 seconds before he went into the liquor store and he was going to buy alcohol and then he was going to take some pills. And Keith said, why are you going to kill yourself? And he said, I, I just lost my kids to foster care. I don't, I, I don't have my family anymore. There's no reason for me to live. I don't want to talk to you. I'm leaving. And he just marched off. And Keith yelled, like, you know, Keith Clapp would yell. <laughs> We're going to pray that you don't kill yourself tonight. And uh, <laughs> the guy left. And so we did. We prayed. And two weeks later, a friend comes back by and tells us that that night Shorty got home And he got the pills out, and he set them on his living room, uh, coffee table, and he set the alcohol that he was going to take the pills with, and then he passed out in the Lazy Boy. And he woke up the next morning, and and his friend was sitting there staring at him, saying, those people prayed for you! See, it didn't work! Those people prayed for you! Over the next, this was seven years ago, over the next couple years, we would constantly cross Shorty's path one One night his PlayStation had been stolen, we prayed for him that his PlayStation would return, and he found it in his neighbor's house. Um, Little things like that, Shorty would come by, come to a cookout, and then two years ago, we were walking down Washington Street, and there was a house, and behind the house was a camper, and the camper wasn't plugged into anything. But we were walking and we heard, hey, you guys, come here, come here, come here. And we turned around and it it was Shorty and he was calling us out from behind um, his, from behind the house, from behind the condemned house in the trailer he was staying in. And and we came over to him and he said, I I really need you guys to pray for me. Um, I need a rehab and I don't know what to do. And so like six of us put our hands on him. We gathered around him. We had like a prayer circle in the middle of Washington Street. And he was letting us pray over him. And in the middle of that prayer, one of us just thought we would ask, Hey, Shorty, do you, do you know Jesus? Do you, do you like have a relationship with Jesus? Which is such an abstract Christian language to use. And sometimes it's like, why do we even talk like that? But Shorty's response was, no, how do I do that? And so our typical Christian response, because we also don't know what to say after someone says that, was, well, let's pray together. You can repeat after me. That's always funny to me. And I've said this before when I've spoken at other churches like someone's life is on the line they want to change like their whole insides and their life and their path of life and they want to connect with the creator of the universe and our response to them is you repeat after me i'm going to say this and you say this exact same thing and then magically like something's going to happen that's what we did So we did this with Shorty. Jesus, come into my heart. Jesus, come into my heart. Jesus, forgive me for my sins. Jesus, forgive me for my sins. I believe in you. He did that, and right after he finished praying, he said, my thoughts are different. I don't have any more negative thoughts. I don't have any negative thoughts. And I was like, great, this is awesome. We left, and it's been two years. Sunday night, Keith and Sherry are handing out chili at Mill Street Market Shorty comes by. He says, I'm two years sober. I have a car. I have a job. I'm never drinking again because I cannot express the clarity at which I'm living my life right now. So we're like, I wish we had a curriculum for this stuff. We don't. But seven years later, the whole thing's been worth it. And there's been a lot of other different happenings. But if we spent all of our time trying to create an environment wherever we were so that we were not distracted, so that we could connect with God, we would have never got to run into Jesus who was saying, hey, look at the camper behind the house. Look at this guy stumbling ready to kill himself look at this guy who's so angry his playstation's been stolen we would have never been able to pause and say oh maybe god wants to get my attention right now and so this is part of our practice when little Maisie starts to make noise we get to say what's god trying to show me and part of that is probably that that little one Belongs in this church just as much as I do. And I get to be a part of their worship, even though it looks different because God had said from the lips of children and infants, I have ordained praise, but it doesn't look to us like they're worshiping at all. And so we're like, let's put them over here and let's give them some blocks to play with. But they're worshiping. God ordained it. Ordain is a very big, powerful, deterministic word that can only be said by something that would claim to be omnipotent, like all-powerful. It's been ordained, and so it's happening whether we recognize it or not. So the question is, are we going to participate with it? Or are we going to try to shape our own experience? One of those ways will teach you how God wants to get your attention. One of those ways will turn you into a consumer or an aficionado of church. Is that a right word? I don't know might not have been. It just popped in my head so I said it. One of those things will turn you into a consumer who's able to critique and evaluate and one of them will leave you in awe. And so we arrive at First John chapter 2 where John, who is probably the same writer who wrote the book of John and is writing a book to early Christians because this group of people called the Gnostics have infiltrated Christianity and they believe that anything made of matter is bad and only spiritual stuff is good, which is super confusing. That turns into a really performance-based life real fast. I can't do anything bad or else I'm you know, screwed. And so John is writing a letter to tell early believers what they actually believe. And here's what he writes in John chapter 2. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, We have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He's the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. So John makes a statement very early on. He says, okay, the next things I'm going to tell you, I just want to be clear, it's not about sin. I am not talking about sin. Jesus is your advocate and Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. Also, you can remove from your mind that Jesus just died for your sins. He's the atoning sacrifice for the whole world, which means everybody different than you as well. So then he says this, we know that we have come to know Him if we obey His commands. The person who says I know Him but doesn't do what He commands is a liar and the truth is not in him. That's a dangerous thing. So he says if you say you're living like Christ, but you're not obeying what jesus says to do you're a liar so it kind of gets everybody's attention but if anyone obeys his word god's love is truly made complete in him and this is how we know that we're in christ whoever claims to live in him must walk as jesus did i put this on facebook as a test Just to see, because I don't know, people respond and argue on my Facebook page and it makes me laugh, so I do it. And I put that verse, whoever claims, whoever claims to be in him must live as Jesus did, just to see the response. And the biggest response I got was, that's impossible. All we can do is try our best. And it took me back to a couple weeks ago, we talked about how everything in this country, in this culture, there's three main worldviews in the world. There's an Occidental problem-solving culture, there's an African relational culture, and there's an Asian mysterious, everything is connected culture. And everyone's born into one of those ways of thinking, and we are born into, unless you're from another country, we are born into problem-solving thinking. And so when we heard the gospel of Jesus, we interpreted sin as a problem that needed to be solved, and Jesus solved that problem so that God could be happy with us. And so when we read, you must live as Jesus lived, we immediately say, I need to be perfect and not sin, like Jesus was perfect and didn't sin. But John has trapped us, because he says at the beginning, this is not about sin. I write this to you so that you won't sin, but if anybody does sin, we have an advocate who speaks to the Father on our behalf, and it's Jesus, who's the atoning sacrifice, not only for our sin, but for the sin of the entire world. And so now he gets to say, don't think about sin, because it's not about that, live as Jesus lived. And so now we get to think about if we're truly going to say that we follow Jesus, we have to truly follow His commands. And if we want to live into that as God intended it, then we have to live as Jesus lived, knowing that the sin part has been taken care of. You guys following so far? Okay. I could be wrong, and that's okay. You can disagree. Dear friends, I'm not writing to you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. The old command is the message we have heard, yet I am also writing you a new command because its truth is seen in Jesus, in Him, and in you. Because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light... Remember, a couple last week it was, if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in darkness and walks around in darkness. He does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded him. So immediately after John says it's not about sin, you have to live like Jesus, he says if you hate your brother, you're in darkness. And if you love your brother, you're in the light. I used to think that I would like look for epiphany in the Word of God when I had to preach somewhere because all the sermons had been preached. So if Rob Tucker didn't find something crazy awesome to make everybody go, oh, I never thought about that, then I was in trouble. So I really sought to do that. And I did a pretty good job at it. And then the more that I did it, I realized that the real epiphany of it all was that we have dissected this thing so much that we actually missed some of the main points in it. And the biggest epiphanies in God's Word are just the, like the simple truths. If you love your brother, you're in the light. If you hate your brother, you're in the darkness. We can't interpret that in this culture as I'm woke and I'm tolerant of people because love is action. We can't interpret that as I don't get offended by people who think differently than me because love is action. We can't interpret it as I'm going to be able to have any kind of conversation with any type of person and not be offended and be able to just have these great dialogues because I'm really good at these discussions as love because love is action. And so if I love my brother, that means I go out of my way to make sure my brother is empowered. And this is where Jesus comes in and says, this is about lifestyle if I lay down my life. This is how we know what love is. To lay down your life for another. So, we know what that means for our life. We know that we don't just get to say, yeah, we need to be nice to everyone and kind to everyone. There was an actual study done on this idea called Midwest Nice. Has anyone ever seen this study? Midwest Nice came from when people came to America, everybody on the East Coast, You lived with your ethnicity, just all across the East Coast, but when people migrated toward the Midwest, there wasn't enough of them to keep each other safe, so people from all different traditions kind of came together. Most of them were all white, but it was like Scandinavian and German and Italian. Like all these different ways of thinking came together and they existed together. And so they learned not to offend each other, which meant with a smile on my face, I can be thinking passive aggressive thoughts towards you and we can both leave and we're just going to walk on the sidewalk. Hey, how you doing? Hey, how you doing? Good to see you. Good to see you too. How you doing? I'm doing awesome. I'm doing great. But you never really dove into what it means to love someone. And so now, in the Midwest, we have entire churches filled with people who look like each other and who think like each other, and we have entire communities that have gathered around, and the reality is that psychologically, Midwesterners feel more comfortable hanging out with people who think like them. Surprise to you, that's not the case in New York. People are happy to hang out with people who think differently than them. They just yell at each other a lot. That makes us uncomfortable and anxious. So we just put a smile on and we become Midwest nice. But if love takes action, then we have to learn to step into places that are different than us and posture ourselves like the cross. And if we can posture ourselves in that way, then we can experience what it means to be truly empowered by someone different, someone different than us and empower someone different than us. So we get that for our own lives. And now we move to the institution of church. At Edison Chapel, we believe, and by we I mean like me and Anna and Dory and some people that we've talked to about it, because we haven't sat down and talked to everybody about it, we believe that the simplicity of God's Word is that His Son came to set everybody free. And the church is the place where we gather to worship that Son who came to do that and to mobilize each other to step out into places where people are different than us. If this place becomes the safe gathering that we have designed to eliminate distraction and make us feel good about what we believe, then we will never embrace the gospel that we are to step out. But that holds another weight for us on Edison Chapel because now we have to model the use of our time, our energy, and our resources in a way that says the church is God's mobile unit. To change entire communities and neighborhoods. And if we don't do that, then we as an institution cannot claim to live as Jesus did. Because Jesus made it simple I'm going to go eat with Zacchaeus, I'm going to go drink water with the woman at the well, I'm going to spend time with the lepers. And so, when we eliminate the concept of thinking we have to live a perfect life to live like Jesus and understand that He covered all of that, we can then say, How does Jesus really want us to live? And it's that. So, as Edison Chapel continues to take shape, here's the question that we have for you How are you going to help us as a big group? Live like Jesus wants us to live. Because it's not about studying the Bible more. We have studied the Bible until we are completely constipated. Like it is so in us that I'm not sure we could get it all out if we had surgery. How are we going to live in a way that looks like Jesus wants us to live and how are we going to bring the empowerment that Jesus has for people to the Edison neighborhood? I can't answer that for you. I can try to answer that for me, but I can't answer that for all of us. It's going to take all of us. So I've had several com- conversations with several different people, and most people say, hey, can we get connected? Like, we can come on Thursday night, or we can't come on Thursday night, but we want to be a part of what's going on at Edison Chapel. How can we be- get connected? How can you plug us in? How can we-, we network? And I'm like, you're not a toaster. You're a person. We're not trying to plug you into something. We need you to pray and have the Holy Spirit that's inside of you with all of the creativity of God that spoke the world into existence. We need you to bring something to us that will help shape us so that this neighborhood is different. And if we take the posture of consumers that need this place to meet our worship needs and need it to be like perfectly distractionless, we will miss the things that God's wanting to say to us. In that way, I think it's awesome that kids are running around tonight during this message because it makes sense. It makes sense. So, I'm going to pray for you. We're going to sing the doxology. We're going to hug each other and talk for a while. And we'll go. But if we want to embrace this verse... I can't find it. Oh, whoever claims to live in the light must walk as Jesus did. That is our constant conviction. That's the thing that keeps us constantly humble. That's why I'm not on a raised stage with blue lights behind me right now, because it's not about any of that. It is about, are we going to posture ourselves? He says himself. (laughs) How are we going to posture ourselves? And what is God telling you to do to shape how this place leaves its footprint in Kalamazoo? Jesus, thank you so much for being here tonight with us as a big group and hearing our prayers. And I thank you that we could pray together. And I thank you that we could acknowledge, Lord, in your mercy, you hear our prayer because you do. And I ask that you inspire us with new dreams and new imaginations and new hopes for how this place could change and inspire how people do church in this city. Because we need it to be different. Because we need people to see a God who loves them and doesn't judge them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.